Hey, we are, as you know, we launched last week this uh, new 10-year vision called X Multiply. Let's all say that together, X Multiply. And just looking at the next 10 years as we approach uh, the 2000th anniversary of the Great Commission, like what could we do spending the next 10 years together? And we have 10 initiatives over the next 10 years, and we're going to cover each initiative over the next 10 weeks. Now, the first initiative, you'll notice it in your book. If you don't have a vision book, you should get one and take some notes. Um, and there's going to be a test at the end. So go ahead and get your book. Um, you can't leave unless you pass. Um, and so you'll notice the number one that we have listed there is house of prayer. Let's all say that one together, house of prayer. And the reason why is all of the other initiatives are contingent upon this one. Amen? Right? All of the other initiatives are going to be contingent on us becoming a house of prayer. What does that look like? Man, we just want to be a place where we really expect the supernatural to happen, where we believe that God is on his throne, where we want, to be, we want our minds to be focused on what he can do in our lives, not on what we can do for him. We want to be focused on his power. We want to believe that he is in a conversational relationship with us. We believe that prayer is where the power is. So we want to be called a house of prayer. Jesus even said it in the book of Matthew. He said, in my house, she'll be called a house of prayer. Now, when he said this, he was quoting scripture from the Old Testament where Isaiah said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. So what he meant by that is that all nations and all people, no matter your religious background, no matter what language you speak, no matter your financial status, no matter any dark secrets in your past, everybody is welcome to experience the presence of God. Amen? Right? That's what this means to be a house of prayer. Now, in your vision book, you'll notice there are some initiatives listed to make it concrete and to give us some handholds about some things that we can implement over the next 10 years. You'll notice that, man, we want to be a place of 365-day-a-year prayer, 24-7 prayer. We've all, we want every one of our campuses and locations and church plants to have a prayer room. You'll notice we have opened a prayer room out here in the lobby. You'll hear more about how we're going to use that in the future, but a place where, we can, where prayer will be primary. We're going to have quarterly and, and annual events where we just pray together. We're going to teach series around prayer. Man, we are serious and we are doubling down on prayer because we just believe prayer is where the action is. And so we want to be a house of prayer and to be known as a house of prayer. Now, the power and longevity of the movement will depend on the intensity and frequency of our prayers. Okay? The power and longevity of this vision, it will depend on on the, on the frequency and intensity of our prayers. I really believe that if we get this one right first, we'll exceed everything else we have planned. And I believe if we don't get this one right, we'll get some stuff that we can do under our power, but we'll miss out on the supernatural of what God can do. Now, now for us to be a house of prayer, a church of prayer, what that means is that we have to be people of prayer. Make sense? Like we have to be individuals that pray. We have to, we have to be people that know what it means to be a, a, a praying person. Now, now I know one thing about your prayer life, and you want more, don't you? Like you want more. When I talk to people and ask them about prayer, this is the one thing, it's, it seems a little confusing, doesn't it? Like, what, what can I pray for? Like, is it okay to pray that Georgia wins? No, it's not. But um, no, you can. Um, but but can, can you pray that? Or does it just have to be life threatening things. And what if I ask for the wrong thing? Is God going to strike me with lightning? And, you know, I prayed for some things and they didn't happen. So I must've gotten it wrong. And I mean, there's a lot of confusion around prayer. And people are very insecure to pray. Have you noticed this? Like I could invite any of you and people ask, Hey, when, when do I get to read scripture? No one asks, when do I get to pray in public? Like nobody asks that. 
If I were to ask you to pray in public, you all of a sudden, uh, your hands would start sweating, your heart would start racing and because we're just insecure about prayer because we just don't understand it. But I really believe God has more for you in our prayer life. Listen, when we look at people in the Bible and they pray, things happen. Come on, right? Think about this. Moses prays and God parts the Red Sea. Elijah pre- prays and God calls down fire from heaven. Daniel prays and closes the mouths of hungry lions. Peter prays, then preaches, and 3,000 people get saved. And as we look at the life of Jesus, it's nothing but prayer over and over and over and over and over and over again. Now, let me ask you this question. One of the, things that we, one of the reasons we don't pray is because we're, we're a little too busy. I'm going to hammer on that one in just a minute. Um, but we, we don't really know. Let me ask you, over the next 10 years... If you were to pray for 10 years, like what could happen in your life? What if, what if, what if you gave God the first 30 minutes of your day for the next 10 years? You're like, Stephen, 30 minutes is such a long time. It's such a long time. Don't worry, I'm going to paint a picture. It's not going to seem that long when I get done. But like, what if, what would your life look like if you were, knew what to pray and knew how to pray and you prayed for 30 minutes? How much more confidence would you walk in? How much less anxiety would you live with? Like, what about how many parents are in the room? Like, what if you prayed for your kids every single morning more than, hey, let them get an A and just stay out of detention? And not that those are bad prayers, but what if you began to pray for your kids to be dangerous for the kingdom, to be able to walk with integrity and character, to live a life worthy of respect, to do something that's going to last for eternity? Like, what would it look like if you pray for your kids, maybe even your grandkids like that? What would it look like to pray for your spouse every morning when you got up, no matter how you felt about each other that morning? Like, your life would begin to shift and change, and you would experience way more power in your life. Now, I'm really passionate about this, and it may even come across a little bit today like I'm angry. Now, the reason why is because I believe this is best for you. I believe this is best for you, and here's a story from my life that will help explain why. You know, as a, as a 20-something, I, got, I graduated from college. Debbie and I got married and uh, just began working. I was an actuary at an insurance company. I didn't really have any thoughts of being in the ministry, and Debbie had even said she would never be married to a pastor. Ha-ha on her. Um, Bless her heart. Uh, but all that to say, <clears throat> we started going to church. And as I went to church, there was this pastor that challenged me to pray. Now, now here, here's what I did. I treated it as an add-on. Anybody do that? Prayer is kind of an afterthought. It's an add-on to your life. And I did. I treated it as an add-on. So what I would do is I would get up in the morning and I would get up, you know, and I would be at the office between 6 and 6.30. Um, and the reason why I did that is because I wanted everybody as they got to work to know I beat them there. That I got there First, I was finding my identity and my job and success and finding my value in trying to be successful. And so I would go, and the first thing, I'd jump in my office, I'd get everything set up and ready to go, and I would spend some time reading my Bible and praying until one day the, the chief counsel of the, um, of the company came through because he was another overachiever who liked to get there early like I did. And he came in and stuck his head in my office, and when he did, he says, oh, man, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't want to disturb you. And so I realized, man, this is probably something that I should do at home. So I began to make prayer, not just an add-on, but the first thing I did every single morning. Like one of the things we say around here is no Bible, no breakfast. And so I began to, to read my Bible and pray every morning. And if I'm honest, for a long period of time, I was just doing it because I was supposed to. And I just was hoping against hope. And literally, no pun intended, praying something special would happen that God would meet me. And one morning, man, God met me and wrecked my life in the best possible way. 
You, 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 have you ever had this experience where you just know something's true? You just know something's possible? This is what happened to me. It was just this overwhelming certainty, and the certainty wasn't good. It was a certainty that I wasn't following Jesus, that I was trying to work my way into heaven. It was a certainty that if I didn't, if I didn't start following Jesus, I was going to live a life of destruction. So in those moments, man, I gave my life to Christ, and in the, in the, just in the quietness of those moments, and that's that's what prayer will do for you, man. It will wreck shop on your heart. Now, I know prayer is one of those things that, you know, that's what pastors tell you to do. Listen, I don't pray because I'm a pastor. I became a pastor because I prayed. Amen, somebody? Right, that is what happened to me. I prayed long before I thought about going into ministry and certainly long before my wife agreed for us to go into ministry. But I've experienced what it's like. And so when I throw out something like 30 minutes, that is so countercultural. And it seems so beyond reason, but hopefully today I can unpack that every day. That would be 76 days over the next 10 years. Now, when you look at it like that, it doesn't seem long, but that would be 76 days of prayer over the next 10 years. Now, let's start where Jesus starts with prayer. Let's start in with the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to look at Matthew's version of that, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we know Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer. Now, the reason why he gives it the reason why he gives it is because his disciples say, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. So this is what he says. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgiven our debtors or sins. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So he gives us the Lord's prayer. So we have an understanding, a belief in exactly how we're supposed to pray. Now, let me ask you this question. Where'd you learn to pray? Like, who discipled you to pray? How many, how many people grew up maybe Catholic? Right, like a lot of people. And I meet a lot of you. And you learned by reciting prayer, probably. And not everybody, but in general, the way that works is you learn to recite some prayers. The Our Father, the Hail Mary, some other prayers. Hey, listen, there's nothing wrong with reciting prayers, memorizing prayers. Now, there is something wrong with the regurgitating prayers, right? Because regurgitation is always nasty, so you want to be careful with that. But reciting prayers, there's nothing wrong. But what happens is it can become wooden and stale, and it doesn't seem to matter. That's the problem with that. Maybe some of you grew up like in a more liturgical environment like Presbyterian, and you would pray at church, but you really didn't have any expectation God's going to show up. Like there's no answer to that. How, how many of you guys maybe grew up non-denominational background? Like a handful, not as many. Now, now for you, prayer is just me and, me and Jesus just having some coffee today. I just love you. You're my friend. Let's have some coffee. Would you like sugar? I mean, it's just this, it's more of uh, this relational idea. Again, nothing wrong with any of those, but there's more power to prayer than meets the eye. This was Jesus' secret weapon. The Lord's prayer is Jesus' secret weapon, and it should be ours. Amen, somebody? Right? This needs to be our secret weapon. And you have to ask yourself, what do you believe about prayer when you start praying? What do you believe about prayer? Who discipled you in prayer? Why do you pray? What's the reason for it? Now, you don't have to have all the right answers, but if you don't know what you believe about prayer, well, of course, it's going to be an add-on and an afterthought. And of course, 30 minutes of doing something that I don't know why I'm doing it, that's only good for Netflix, not for God. And so we need to know why. Now, in the early days, when the church first got started, when someone came to Christ in the first century and they wanted to be baptized, they would baptize them pretty quick, okay? But over the course of time, as they moved from re with the resurrection happening, 
and people didn't have that background in the Jewish religion. They didn't have that foundation. As time went on and people began to follow Jesus, they would wait maybe two or three years before they baptized them. And here was the process. First of all, it was enrollment. It was enrollment. And they would do a background check on you, basically, just like the FBI does. Man, they would call your neighbors. They would ask your family, like, are they serious about this decision? And then if you pass that, then you entered into instruction and you'd have theological training and ethical training and, and all the biblical training that you needed. You, you could go to church, but only for the first half of the church service. And you'd have to get up and leave. Like some of you are like, that sounds really amazing. Can we do that right now? Um, no. Uh, but, but they would do, and then on Easter Sunday, eventually you get baptized. And when you got baptized, there were some really cool things that happened. There were some things that you hadn't experienced yet that you were waiting to experience when you got baptized. Now, now one thing they did is they would baptize them without clothes on so that when they came out of the water, they put a white robe on them, just signifying the fact that they were clean and holy. Like, that's pretty, that's pretty epic. They would get to take communion for the first time, and they would use milk and honey with communion just to be an, an image of how sweet it is and what they'd been missing out on. And then they would give them the secret weapon. And the secret weapon they would give people after they were baptized was the Lord's Prayer. It was the Lord's Prayer. And, and they didn't believe it was just some add-on. It was something extremely powerful in their lives. Now, one of the things that we face is that we have kind of dumbed down prayer for people like, for instance, what we've done is a great job of taking the Bible and handing it and putting it in the hands of millions, possibly billions of people all over the world for free. Like, that's amazing. But in that, what we've done is we've taught people that what prayer is, is I'm going to read the verse of the day and spend a couple of minutes talking to God and thinking about God for my day. And then I'm moving on and going on with my day. That is not what Jesus had in mind. Man, Jesus had more in mind. And what happens, we have tried to make things easily accessible, but what happens, they become dangerously fragile. And we don't experience the power that God has for us. Jesus taught us differently. Now, Jesus also taught us that the secret weapon is to be used in the secret place. The secret weapon is to be used in the secret place. Look up in, in Matthew chapter 6, continue to look in that same passage. If you go up just a few verses before the, the Lord's Prayer, in verse 5, it says this, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. And so what Jesus is saying is the religious professionals, man, they stand up and they pray out loud and they do it for everybody to watch them. He's not saying don't pray in public. He's saying don't do it so other people will listen to them. And that's what they were doing. They got their reward. People, people saw them. But verse six says, when you pray, go into the room, shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. You don't want to know where God is? He's in the secret place. You want to know where he hears your prayers? And in the secret place. When I was in seminary, I was one of the first few weeks I was there, there was a guy who had been in seminary a year or two. He was a little older than me. And, you know, a lot of people, when they go to seminary, they're, they're just ready to get out. They call it cemetery instead of seminary. And I'm just like, what in the world? And so... But this guy, we were talking about prayer, and he said this. He says, yeah, you know, I pray every day. Is on my way to work, I just turn the radio off, and that's my prayer time. You're going to build a ministry on that? You're going to build a life on that? 
There's, there's too much at stake for it to be an afterthought, to do it while I'm doing something else. God forbid God's too busy doing something else to answer my prayers. Come on, right? And so we need to know, man, Jesus talked about getting to the secret place. Let's just look at how often Jesus did that. We see his prayer life over and over again. Matthew chapter 26, as Jesus is on his way to be executed, executed, he says, Jesus came to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. Mark chapter 1 says, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Now, when all the people were baptized, Jesus was baptized. Some of you guys need to get baptized. Side note, Jesus was baptized, and while he was praying, heaven opened. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad. Great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. So he's got this crowd. What do you do when you get a crowd? Don't you consolidate? Don't you try to build on the momentum? That's what we would do. What does Jesus do? He withdraws to a desolate place to pray. In these days, it says he went out to a mountain to pray all night long. He continued to pray in God, and he did that in order to select his 12 disciples. Anybody ever thought about praying all night before they got engaged to be married, right? I mean, he was selecting his disciples, and he prayed all night long, and that is what it means to get to the secret place. It's in the praying that the power of God is found, and it's in the praying that the power of God is found. Jesus knew something. He knew that he needed some nourishment from some external source, and so do we. If you begin to look at any living thing, they get nourishment from the external source. If it's a plant, they get water. And if it's, if it's people, man, we get nourishment from the things that we eat and the things that we drink, right? We get nourishment externally. And, man, we need our soul to be nourished in the secret place. Listen, your life is too important. There's too much at stake for you to just cash it in with an add-on prayer life. you got to get to the secret place. Now, one of the reasons why we need to do that is because all of our lives, are, it's so public now. And we're just in public all the time. Like, I can go on Instagram right now and find out a lot about you. I can find out where you went to college. I can find out where you were on vacation. I can find out what you did last night, right? It's going to be, it's going to be posted. All of our lives are so public, and that brings a lot of pressure. You know, the public life brings this pressure, which brings competition. Man, and we just live these competitive lives just trying to measure up. And we look at what, you know, her, her kids' clothes, what, 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 what her kids are wearing on Instagram, or we look at what vacation they went on, and we read their next promotion on LinkedIn, and we feel all this pressure. And when that happens, man, we got to find a place to be nourished without this pressure to perform. The only place that's going to happen, secret place. It's in the secret place. Because we live public lives, man, we're just in a hurry. Anybody in here in a hurry today? Were you in a hurry to get to church today? Were you in a hurry to get to lunch? In a hurry to get to work? In a hurry to get to your kids' games? In a hurry to get to that date? <laughs> Man, we're, we're in a hurry. Listen to this. Alex de Tocqueville said this. He said, he who has set his heart exclusively on the pursuit of worldly welfare is always in a hurry. He has but a limited time at his disposal to reach, to grasp, and to enjoy it. And because we are, we're just in a hurry. We had this hurry sickness that happens. It started with the sundial. Whoever created that just doomed us. <laughs> and then the clock comes along. Some monks invented the clock so that they could have 
regular prayer times. After the clock came the light bulb. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Thomas Edison, for the light bulb. Now, up until the light bulb was invented, people you know, got up when the sun came up, went to bed when the sun went down, and they would sleep about 10 hours a day. Now, it's about seven hours a day. And we try to figure out how we can do even less than that when it's not even good for us. And then after the light bulb, guess what else helped us with our hurry? The iPhone helped us with our hurry. Man, it just eats away at our time and we just get in a hurry to get things done and we feel like if we can be more productive and squeeze one more task in and one more moment out, then we can get more and what happens is we neglect and we neglect getting to the secret place where the true power is found, where true productivity is found. We miss out on it. Man, some symptoms of of being hurry. Irritable. Anybody in here irritable this morning? Do not touch your neighbor. Anybody in a bad mood? You get impatient. You ever at a red light and the light's red and as soon as it turns green, you're like, what are they waiting for? Hurry up. I got places to go, people to see. Hey, how about this, parents? You ever walking and your kids are behind you and they're little and you're like, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. They think that's their middle name these days because <laughs> we're in a hurry. Unmotivated. Even after sleeping, do you feel tired? Like, Debbie and I, usually one of the first questions we ask, how'd you sleep? (laughs) I'm like, I don't know. You were right there. Like, how did I sleep? (laughs) Obviously, you slept good because you don't know. I'm changing the world. I'll never sleep. Come on. You have no joy even in the things that you really like to do. And anxiety is a symptom of hurry. It's, It's the canary in the coal mine. Shows us we just need to slow down. How do we do that? We get to the secret place. There's a great picture in Psalm chapter 1 of someone whose life is full and flourishing. In Psalm 1, it says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked or stands in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And he, on his law, he what meditates day and night. He prays. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does he prospers. Man, do you feel like you're a tree planted by a stream and your life is flourishing and green and bearing fruit? Or does it just feel like it's shriveling up a little bit? Man, some of your leaves have turned a little brown. A couple of these branches have died. And the image that we have of someone who gets to the secret place, man, they have life and they flourish. And they have deep roots. And no matter what winds blow or what storms show up, it has no impact on them. Man, they are able to just stand the test of time. Like, wouldn't you love a life like that? that flourishes in every single way. How are you doing? How's your soul? If you could just look at your heart, I get it. It's a little ambiguous. We don't think about our soul very often, but it's what drives everything. How's your soul? Does it feel a little shriveled? Have some, have some of those symptoms I just read? How's your soul doing? Man, you gotta get, you gotta get to the secret place. Everything you need in the public place is given in the secret place. Everything you need in the public place and every career decision you need to make is found in the secret place. Every parenting struggle you're going through, you can find comfort in the secret place. Man, every, every relational conflict you have or desire, unmet desire you have is met in the secret place. You got to get to the secret place. Henry Nouwen was a Catholic priest. He said this. He said that the soul, the secret place, solitude is the furnace of transformation 
Man, one reason we don't like to go to the secret place and we don't like to be quiet is because we just don't like to be alone with ourselves. Man, the things that we know about ourselves, the doubts that we have, the anxiety maybe that we struggle with, the hidden sins that we think nobody knows about, we just don't want to come face to face with them. And that's what happens when you just get alone with God. You know, it has this ability to orient us towards God. And we need that, don't we? And we need that in our life because we're so oriented around Project Self, aren't you? I mean, I'm, or, I'm oriented around Project Stephen. And, and many of us are because what happens is we just want to do our thing, fulfill our purpose and go through our agenda. But it orients us towards God when we find time to get along with God. We find time to pray and we find time to read his word. Man, it helps us to see. And the world needs something bigger than just our solutions. They need to know who God is. Amen. Man, we need to be able to point to God. It orients us towards God. It also reminds us of the war that we're in. It reminds us of the war that we're in. Don't you know we're in this spiritual battle? Isn't it easy to forget? We get distracted with all the toys and all the social media and all the entertainment options. We forget we live in a world at war. If you don't understand this, you'll misunderstand 90% of what happens in your life. Now, I made up the 90%, but most of what happens in your life, you will misunderstand it. You'll think one of two things, God's holding out on me or I'm defective. That's what you'll think. And most of the time, it's both. You ever feel negative about yourself? Like, I don't measure up. Other people experience this. I don't get to experience this. Man, that is Satan's tactic to take you down. Why do you think Paul talks about putting on the armor of God, right? Why does Jesus say there's a thief that's come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you have life? Why don't, why don't we act like there's a thief that's come to steal, kill, and destroy, and there's another battle going on that we can't see. And sometimes the things that happen to you aren't necessarily your fault. Now, we do plenty to help him out. But listen, Satan is after us, so we need to know how to fight the battle. you got to get to the secret place, man. Satan will do everything he can to keep you from praying. He'll do everything he can to keep you from praying. He'll make your alarm go off late. He'll make you a little extra tired. He'll make you think this doesn't really matter doesn't really work. God really doesn't answer prayer. God really doesn't answer your prayer. Everything he can. Now, it's hard. There are no shortcuts. There's no easy answer to this. You got to get up and do the work. Listen, if you want a multiplied life, you're going to have to learn to get to the secret place. Why don't we pray more? I asked a lot of people this question this week. Why don't you pray more? Like, why don't you pray more than you? Like, why don't we pray more? Like, one of the number one answers that comes up, I'm too busy. Yep, it's exactly right. Let me ask you this. Are you too busy to eat? <laughs> You're not. Am I too busy to eat? I'm not. We say we're too busy to pray. Listen, you're too busy not to pray. We're too busy not to pray. Hey, I would say give up breakfast, call it fasting, and pray. What if you took your lunch break? Say, I'm just going to pray over my lunch break. Now, I get it. I've said in the morning, and I think that's ideal. But what if you did some extraordinary things in your life to experience some extraordinary God in your life? Another one is I just think my prayers are too insignificant. I really don't know what to pray. I really don't know how to pray. I just don't even know. You need to get an equip. 
You need to get an equip. We will equip you to know how to pray. We don't pray. And if you want to 10X your life, you got to figure out how to pray and when to pray. John Wesley, I think, how many people have heard of John Wesley? A lot of people. John Wesley obviously founded the Methodist Church. This is not a statement about the Methodist Church. It's a story about John Wesley. So let me just start with that. John Wesley um, was known, obviously, as the star of the Methodist movement. John Wesley rode on horseback over 250,000 miles over the course of his lifetime while reading his Bible to go to places to preach. John Wesley preached 40,000 sermons over the course of his lifetime. John Wesley wrote 400 different writings for people to read. John Wesley, when he was in college, was making 28 pounds a month, and he would And as he began to make more money, and he made a lot of money as an author, as he made more and more money, he continued to live on 28 pounds a month and then give the rest of it away. I mean, John Wesley was, as we would say, he was a baller, right? And John Wesley would get up every morning at 4 a.m. and he would pray for four hours, four hours. And that's a really high bar for us in the room, I agree. But I also say, It just points out the centrality of prayer. Hey, if you want the peace that passes understanding that is the promise of the Bible, you gotta get in the secret place. If you want the joy that comes in the morning after a dark night of the soul, you gotta get in the secret place. If you wanna know how to pray for your enemies and love your enemies, you gotta get in the secret place. Listen, if you wanna understand your purpose, you gotta get in the secret place. You want God to wipe your tears away, you got to get there. And if you want to experience what it's like to have God meet you in a way that's unique and personal, then you have got to get to the secret place. What does what your 2033 look like if you, God actually answers your prayers? Like, what are you praying for that in 10 years, if God answers them, you'll be like, my life is different? Is it just that your sports teams won? or you got that new promotion, or you got that bonus. I'm not saying you shouldn't pray for those. But what does it look like for your kids if you pray for them over the next 10 years? Man, what if you actually get what you prayed for? What will you have? What will you have in 10 years? You've got to get to the secret place. Now, John Wesley's mom may have been a, a stronger prayer warrior than him. Her name was Susanna. Now, now, Susanna was married to a guy, and he was not the best husband. Let me just say it like that. I called him a dirty name in the first service, and they didn't think it was too funny, so I'll withhold that. But he was not around to help her raise her kids. He didn't know how to handle money, so he went to debtor's prison. She had 20 kids over her lifetime. Um, I think 10 of them survived. Nine of them died. Of the 10 that survived, a couple of them still had some pretty significant health problems. Their house burned down twice and had to be rebuilt. She just didn't have a lot. But the story goes like this, is that she had told God in her younger years that she would never look at, experience more entertainment than, she, than time spent praying. And so in that house with that many kids running crazy around the house, this is what she would do. She would go and she would sit on a stool in her kitchen and she would grab her Bible. She would take her apron. She would put it over her head. And that was her secret place. And her kids knew, don't fool with mama right now. And then launched John Wesley. His brother Charles Wesley wrote more songs, wrote like 6,500 songs. Why? Because she knew what it was like. She experienced the power of God in her prayers. And we need that in our church. We want to be a house of prayer. Now, looking back at the passage that Allie read, 
um, just a few minutes ago in Luke chapter 10. It says this, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and he sent them on ahead of him, two by two in every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. You, you see that? The harvest is plentiful. People want to know. God wants us to multiply our lives. There are people out there asking the questions. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. There aren't people to go and tell them. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. So as a church, one of the things that you pray, one of the keys to multiplication is that we pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers to the harvest, that there is a harvest. And harvest comes in people. The power, the longevity of the movement will be determined by the intensity and the frequency of our prayers. One of the things that's pretty cool about this verse is when you began to pray that God would send some labor out of the harvest, you know who he usually sends? You. <laughs> he usually sends us. This is where we find purpose and meaning, man, as God sends us out. Man, prayer, prayer has always been central to our gatherings. You know, we pray at 8, um, 8.25 before services start. We all gather in the lobby. We pray together. We pray on this stage. We have a prayer team. We have people in the prayer room that are praying. Um, man, we, 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 it's always been central to the gathering, but we want it to be something. I mean, that's a house of prayer. We're, not just we pray, but God answers prayers in that house. It's always been central. It's always been central in the early church. If we looked at the book of Acts, um, I'm going to start in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. This is early church. They, they devoted their gatherings. And, and more, this was probably more of what we would call a small group. And their small groups were gathered and centered around prayer. And that's the way our groups need to be. I mean, some of you have been in groups where prayer happened, and it may have been a little weird. Let's be honest. Like sometimes if you've ever been in, in a prayer meeting and people want to tell you their prayer requests, but it's kind of their way of informing you of everything they know about people. Like someone will say this, could you pray for my husband? He is such a moron. Could you please pray for him? That's not what this is talking about. But when we gather together in our groups, we, one of the things that we should be doing is praying. We should be studying God's word too, yes, and we should, be fellow, we should have fellowship as it says, but man, they should be places where we pray. Um, in the next chapter, in verse 3, excuse me, in chapter 3, verse 1, uh, it says, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, about the ninth hour. So they were going through the regular routine of prayer. This would have been the Jewish prayers. Now, now what happened, there was a man who had been uh, lame from birth, is how the Bible says it, paralyzed, probably couldn't walk. And so as people walked by, he was begging for money. And he would just look up, and P Peter and John would have seen them day after day after day after day. And finally, Peter has enough of it. And in verse 6, Peter says this, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by his right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. So what we see is that Peter heals this man. And we see over and over in the Bible where people are healed when they get prayed for. Now, first and primarily, people get spiritually healed. And you know people who are spiritually broken and hurting and sick. And that's some of you. I mean, you're just going through life and you have faced conflict. You have, reflect, you have faced maybe divorce or a bad health diagnosis. Maybe you just have got some behavior in your past where you pursued project self and there's some regrets and guilt and shame from the past. And spiritually, you just need healing. The Bible says that Jesus came to restore the brokenhearted. 
set the captive free. And maybe, maybe that's you today, but we have friends who need that. So when one of the things that we do when, you, when we come down front, if you ever need healing, if you're sick, you should let somebody pray for you. You know what, guys, we don't really want to do that, do we? Because we want to be independent. We don't want anybody to know we may need some help. And so pride keeps us from getting prayed for. And so we need to learn what it means for God to just step into our lives. Would you rather just continue with your illness or would you rather swallow your pride and get prayed for just to see what God would do? And we see that people who are sick, they get prayed for. Over in in, uh, Acts chapter 12, um, just the first five verses there, this is a great story. This is about the time Herod the king, this is in the early church, remember, that Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. He he, uh, chopped his head off. He says, when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. So you know, he he killed James. They liked it. Let me get Peter because they'll like that even more. This was during the days of unlimited bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison. He delivered him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. The next part of the story is fascinating. So you have this group of believers. They're at someone's home, and they're praying for Peter to get out of prison. And miraculously, the story tells us Peter gets out of prison and he makes his way to the home where the early church is praying. He knocks on the door. Rhoda comes, one of the servants there. Rhoda comes. She opens the door. She sees it's Peter, is so excited and blown away. She closes the door, runs back inside and says, Peter's out of prison. He's at the door. And everybody's like, why didn't you let him in? And so they go and they let Peter in. You know, sometimes what's crazy is we have answers to prayer and we just don't even know it. We just don't even know it. But you see, Peter's released from prison. Man, so many people are shackled in prison these days and they need to understand the freedom that comes through following Christ. Man, they're shackled in prisons of addiction. They're shackled in prisons of, uh, man, habits. They're shackled in prisons of behavior. They're just shackled in prisons that they don't know how to get out of and they need someone. They need someone to come along and to help them get out of the prison that they're in. One thing that ignites prayer movements throughout history has been a concern for the upcoming generation. Okay, One of the things that ignites prayer movements in history is a concern for the upcoming generation. When we begin to look at the generation that's coming along after us and our hearts get broken because of what they're going to have to go through and what they're going to have to face... Does, any, is it, does, it, does it shock anybody for me to say what the next generation is going to have to face is difficult, destructive, hard? Is that really a shock to anybody? Listen, we know it. And when we begin to understand how to pray for them, God just tends to do something. And we just always want to be a place that prays. We don't even call them the next generation. We call them the now generation because we want to see them continue to lead the church. We want to see a renewal in the church. We want to see God breathe fresh wind in the church. And that will happen as we begin to pray for them. Whenever you see lately there have been a handful of little revivals that have kind of broken out around the country, they've been on college campuses as people begin to pray for the upcoming generation. Man, we need to pray that they are dangerous for the king. Amen, somebody? Man, we need to pray that they have a faith that stands the test of time. We need to pray that no matter what comes their way, doubts will not overwhelm them. We need to pray that they don't worry about the attacks that they face. They just worry about staying faithful to the king. Man, and if you can raise children like that and we can 
pray for kids for that to happen. Man, is there any greater, um, is there any greater prayer that we could pray for? for people and for our, man, and, and fortunately for us, man, we're just seeing God do a great work through our student ministry and through our kids ministry, through our camps and what all that God is doing. But this seems to be what will ignite revival in people's hearts as we pray for the upcoming generation. Listen, we, we can't do, we can't do X multiply without it. And we won't multiply disciples. We won't give hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars away to those who are in poverty and held back in slavery. Man, we won't see 100,000 kids go to camp. We won't see 300,000, over 300,000 gospel conversations. We won't see 365 baptisms in a year. We won't see 10 campuses and 10 church plants. Man, we won't see, um, uh, we won't see 100 kids go through our leadership development program. We won't see people sacrificially give unless we are a house of prayer, praying into the vision that God has given us for 2033. But if we do, Hell better watch out. Satan better, better shake in his boots. Because if we do, guess what's going to happen? Your family's going to be different. I want you just to imagine if you committed yourself to prayer for 10 years. Whew. Man, what glory would God rain down in your house? What generational curses would be broken? Man, what, what kind of kids would come out of that kind of house? What kind of relationships? Man, what kind of light would you shine in the darkness if you committed to get in the secret place? And if we committed together to pray as God's people, to pray as God's people. Now, listen, I know not everybody is part of God's people. Like some of you here are skeptical or complacent, don't really care. I would just challenge you. I would challenge you 30 days, 30 minutes in the morning. But you better be careful what you ask for. And just see what God would do. I promise you, man, God, God would show up in a way. He'd breathe life into your soul again. What would it look like if we began to pray that way? The secret place with the secret weapon to see God do a supernatural work. We got in the secret place with the secret weapon to see God do a supernatural work. You know, one of the quintessential prayer movements was from a group of people called the Moravians. Now, they, it was a group of Christians. They lived in Moravia, and they, had, they were chased out of Moravia into Germany. And so it, when they got to Germany, it was all different denominations there. And so they had, had all these theological conflicts, some of the things that maybe some of you have read about in news magazines. And so they finally decided, listen, we, we, we're going to stop fighting. We're going to pick the things we agree on, and we're just going to start to pray. And this small group of believers began to pray. They never numbered more than 300 at any one time. And they ignited a 100-year around-the-clock prayer movement. Man, for 25 years, they sent out missionaries around the world. They sent out over 100 missionaries to every country in South America, North America, to a lot of countries in Africa, and even into Europe, all because they decided that they would get together and pray. And they had an unusual effect on one specific person. And his name, to bring it full circle, John Wesley. John Wesley is on a boat coming from England to come down to Savannah because he was going to start a ministry in Savannah. And he's on this boat with, the Moravi- with some, a handful of Moravians. And as they're coming across, it says that the waves broke over the bow of the boat. Even the mast broke. And it said, all the English were terrified, is, what, is uh, what Wesley wrote. But he said, as he 
saw the Moravians, he went to them and says, aren't you afraid? And they said, no, we're not afraid. He says, they walked with such confidence and faith, nothing shook them. Like, what would it be to live a life like that? Like, what would it be that no matter what winds blew, what, what news we got, that we walk with that level of confidence and faith in what God would do in 30 minutes a day for 10 years? Just want to challenge you that that could be something that would change your life. Listen, if you don't know how to pray, you need to get an equip. You need to get an equip. You can scan the barcode that's in the card in front of you. You need to get an equip so we can train you how to pray. And what if you just began to be that kind of praying person? That every time someone came over to your house kind of on the way out, you just offered to pray for them. I'm not saying have a church service for them, okay? I'm saying just have a calm prayer for them and just ask them, hey, how could I pray for you? What if every time someone's, someone came to your mind, you just shot them a text and said, hey, praying for you today, anything specific, I could pray for you. Hey, what if you just decided you were going to prayer walk schools and you just went and prayer walked around a school, be sure to do it after hours or you'll get arrested. Man, what if you just began to pray? What if as you walked through your neighborhood, you just prayed for your neighbors, that they would come to experience what it means to follow Jesus? Man, what would it look like for you to be that deep level of person? Man, I want to close out just by praying the Lord's Prayer over all of us, just as a way of kind of modeling it for us, but also for us to experience it today. And then this is what I want to do. I know there's some people who need some prayer today. Man, I know maybe you just have a big decision coming up this week. You just want to invite God into it. As we close out, we're going to have our prayer team down here. We'd love to pray for you. Listen, maybe you're sick. Maybe you've got some health problem. Man, we would love to pray for you. Maybe your soul is sick today. Maybe it feels shriveled up and you don't know what to do. You don't have, know where to turn. Prayer is the place to turn. You know, maybe you're going through some kind of conflict. Or maybe you just like, God, I just want more of you. I just want to be this kind of prayer warrior. Man, we just would love to pray for you. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll move into a time of prayer. Let's bow our heads and pray together.